Romans chapter 8, and we're in verse 26. A new paragraph heading. The Spirit helps our infirmities. Amen. The Spirit helps our infirmities. Verses 26 through 30. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Whenever you're there, say Amen. 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 Says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good. To them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also Glorified. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, as you can see, there is quite a bit in verses 27 <coughs> through verse 30. So let's just dive in and hopefully we'll cover all the way through verse 30. That is my goal, is to get all the way through verse 30. It's only four verses, so it's like we totally got this, but there is quite a bit. We could talk about this for a while. So, starting in verse 26, Father. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. The, the word help, or helpeth, uh, I'll have this on a handout for you next class. I don't have it this class, I'll have it next class. The word helpeth, there's a Greek word, but I'm going to try to say it's long and difficult. Uh, but the definition is the action of a person coming to another's aid by taking hold over against that person of the load he is carrying. So, if my dad is carrying a load, and I help, I go over and help carry that specific load. Pretty simple, right? Mm -hmm. The one coming to help does not take the entire load. Right. That's important to understand. Most of the time, it's we as Christians. Lord, take it all. <laughs> I do not want to carry this. Take the whole thing. But that's not how it works. Yeah. The one coming to help, which in this case would be the Spirit, does not take the entire load, but helps the other person in his endeavor. It speaks of the indwelling Holy Spirit coming to the aid of the saint in the same spiritual problems and difficulties, not by, not by taking over the responsibility for him and giving him an automatic deliverance without any effort on his part, but by lending a helping hand. It is done this way to teach the believer responsibility, trust, and dependence on the Lord, and to bring us to a state of maturity. We would look very bad and we would be very spoiled and not like Christ. If any time trouble came our way, 
wouldn't have to depend on it. Yeah, that's for right. sure. That's because true. we'll be right for what? <laughs> for what? What, what do I need? What do I need to trust and depend on the Lord for when everything is going great? Yeah. Not, not much need for that. <laughs> and at the end of it all, we'll just be spoiled brats. Yeah, you're right. Oh, no, we would. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, we would. <laughs> we would never get mature. Wait, that's just how it is. We just wouldn't be that way. I'm not I'm I'm not a parent at this moment in time. But there are many places in scripture, if I look at how God handles us, that I can see that, that would be a good parent. Yeah. You mean that a good parent would allow the child to hurt? Yeah. Yep. For the better good as the whole picture? Yes. This is one of the, I mean, this is, I'm not sure, I don't know if I'm going to go there, but one of the things that we see in the modern society, modern America, and I was a sports person, so I'm just going to go to that, is that there's no such thing as winning and losing. We just, it's just, we just, it's just participating. We're all winners. You're not going to learn anything. I learned so much through losing. Well, what did you learn? I learned I learned how to lose, first of all. I learned how to lose. I learned how to treat other people, whether they were on my team or on the other team. That's it. Through losing. We learned that through winning too. No, you don't. No, you will not. You will not. I learned how when something bad goes your way, it's not the end of the world. Right. You lose one game. It's not the end of the season. Yeah. Right. You lost a game. You make a bad play, you blow it. There are consequences, but it's not the end. Get up. Right. But the idea that, but we're just all winners. What's going to happen is, and we haven't seen it yet, because it, it, this is somewhat new still to... But in years to come, what's going to happen is when the real world hits you in the face and you go to get a dream job or a job and all of a sudden someone else gets it and you don't. Well, we're, we're, both, we're both winners. No, we lost. They got the job, you didn't. How are you going to act? Well, if you didn't learn how to act, then the truth is, we don't know what's going to happen. Not yet, when that time comes. But that's just an example. We say, well, that's this is how it should be. That's not how it should be. Scripture, I, I can read Scripture, and I would say that God is perfect. And this is how He handles us. Therefore, that would make for a pretty good practice with our children. But yet, in society, we see the opposite because remember, we're not getting closer to God. We're getting farther. We are continuously getting farther from being like God for those that aren't saved. Those that aren't saved. 
just the worldly system. It's totally opposite. But it looks good. Good is called evil and evil is called good. Because why well, that looks like it's great. Because we're concerned about their individual, we're concerned about their feelings. If God was concerned about my feelings, just to tell you the truth, I would not have gotten saved. Right. That's right. true. What? <laughs> if God was concerned about how my, my feelings, and, and hear me out here, I'm not saying that God doesn't care what you go through, but there is a higher right. Right. goal, a higher calling. And God is concerned about what you go through, but the thing that He is more concerned with over anything else is your salvation. Right. And being conformed into the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. And if your if your feelings getting hurt would prevent him from your salvation, guess which one he'll be choosing? Mm -hmm. Salvation. Mm -hmm. Because that's real love. Right. We sometimes we don't see it that way, but that's real love. So anyway, that's just a side here. I wasn't sure I wanted to go there because of numbers, but that's good. the word infirmities uh, means want of strength or weakness. The weakness spoken of here is defined by the context which speaks of prayer. Although the word infirmities could speak of physical needs, it is basically, at least here, speaking of that which is spiritual. So remember, the, the word infirmities is used, but we're still in the context of prayer. So the word infirmities is therefore referring to that. You can't just pluck the word out. Well, the word infirmities means this. You have to keep even that word in context, even though the word itself mainly means physical weaknesses. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's referring to prayer. Our weaknesses in prayer. Right. Well, what do you mean? We don't know what to pray. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. We're going to get there and see that. But we don't know what to pray. We, sometimes, have you ever been in a situation or a circumstance that you are in the omnipress of the Lord and you're being squeezed, the heat is turned up, the pressure is so hard that at the end of it all, sometimes you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to pray. You don't know what to say. And sometimes the only thing that you can do is cry. <laughs> it's just cry. You just cry. What are you, what are you At first, I never understood what this. I don't understand why women just cry. <laughs> and then I got saved. <laughs> and then I went through the fire of the Lord, and I was like, dude, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, I feel fifty thousand different things. <laughs> I don't even know what to pray. I know that I need him. But I don't know the specific thing that I really need to happen because most of the time what we think we need is not really what we need. Yeah. Right. 
Titus turned. I told you this before, and I'll say it again because it fits right in. Is I thought I needed a wife. Lord Jesus, I need a spouse. My Lord, that's what I need to know that the Lord loves me. Dummy, dummy, dummy. Anyway, that's how I felt. That's what I thought I needed. But the Bible College did not get that. <laughs> I found out what I really need. Yeah. I'm gonna this may be a bombshell for you, it may not be. But a lot of times in situations and circumstances that we go through, and I've heard a lot of people say this, and it is true, but probably very, very small amounts of time. Because that doesn't necessarily line up with the whole of sanctification. And what we know in Scripture, why trials come. Purify our faith, to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. We are faced in a tight spot. If, you, if you're saved, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and and someone says, "Well, you know, you just you just trust the Lord. Just trust the Lord. He's just trying to get you to trust Him." And really, it's just a vague answer because the truth yeah. is, they don't know. That's why it's such a vague answer because they don't know whether well, the Lord, maybe the Lord's trying to get, but maybe the Lord's just trying to get your attention. Maybe the Lord's just, I mean, you can rattle off 50,000 things that you've heard people say. Maybe the Lord's just trying to strengthen your prayer life. Scripture is very clear what it's all about. It is not to strengthen your prayer life. Sorry, I haven't found that yet in Scripture. But it is to purify your faith. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, just trust that the Lord's timing is right. He's trying to show you something about Christ that you do not yet know. Right. Most of the time we just make it more shallow than it really is, though. Right. Because we... We really do not believe that Christ is enough. And we don't want to go that direction. We don't want that type of trust. Can I give you an example? In Old Testament, me and Sarah were just talking about this the other day. Shallow faith and real faith. Three Hebrew boys. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar says, you can either bow or I'm going to throw you in this fire right there. Now, if we focus on the three Hebrew boys' answer, I will tell you right now, it does not line up with most of what the modern church would tell you. Yeah. Or believers. Because we would look at that and be like, well, first of all, either true faith is just claiming something that ain't just, let's just act like it's not happening. Oh, it's happening, Bubba. <laughs> it's happening. It was a real fire. Okay? You can claim that it isn't there all you want. <laughs> but it's there. The other thing that we would maybe hear, you just got to believe that the Lord's going to deliver you. 
And it sounds great, and it's not even wrong, per se, but it's not the whole truth. Yeah. And it's a shallow faith. Well, why do you say it's a shallow faith? Because basically what you're saying is, Lord, you either deliver me, or you might just be a liar. The Lord is going to deliver me. I just hang on to the fact that the Lord is going to deliver me. And it's more about deliverance than it really is about, do I really trust Him? The three Hebrew boys, you see a deeper faith. They say, oh, don't get mistaken. He is able. We know that. But our faith isn't necessarily in the fact that we know that he can. Or in the fact that he'll deliver just because we believe he'll deliver. But they said that even if he doesn't, now that's real trust. Lord, I trust you with my life. And I know, I know that I know that I know that you will prosper me. My Lord will be the Head and not the tail. My Lord, hallelujah. We're going to be rich. I mean, uh, blessed. <laughs> we're going to have a great ministry. My Lord, we're going to be like Brother Swagger number two. <laughs> be preaching to hundreds of thousands of millions all over the world. Praise God. The Lord going to prosper me. Hallelujah. I believe it. Or oh, what if he doesn't? No, he's going to. No, he's going to. But do you trust him to know what is best for you? Yes, come on. That's it. Do you really trust him? Yeah. Or is it just trust cloaked in really just self? Right. That's good. I trust him as long as it's going my way. Because if they knew, let's say that the Lord didn't, not what happened in the passage, but let's say that the Lord did not deliver them from that fire and they died. The Lord is still faithful. Yes, yes. 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 Because <laughs> be in his presence. In his presence. But yet, their answer wouldn't been different because they said even if he does that's right even if you throw even if you see now we get into the real heart yeah. we talk yeah. about true yeah. biblical faith that's right. mm-hmm. yes. well how can that happen because the faith is in the right thing yeah. that's right. how can that happen how can that happen for us if, when our faith is in Christ that's and it. what he has done yes or if the Lord doesn't prosper you in all these great ways we t- even if he doesn't, he's already done enough. Faith in the right object. Sometimes it's like we, our flesh grasps upon something's good, something good is going to happen, something good is going to happen, something good, and we tie it into Jesus in a nice, pretty package, and we say, praise God, that's faith. No, that is not. All that is is just wishful thinking. And it looks no different than the worldly person. Somebody that is not saved can say these words. 
I just trust that this everything gonna work out. That's it. And I just trust that you know I just trust it's just gonna work out. This is an unsafe person that can say that. And yet, just because we say in Christianity we think we're praying to God, that's faith. That's not faith. That's right. You're right, son. Real biblical faith says even if you don't, that's yeah. it. I will not bow. Yes. Even if you don't. Let me show you a picture of some of the, the strongest faith that I've seen in Scripture. And it's really not ever discussed or even preached this way. The poor beggar Lazarus. Mm. This man was poor. Didn't have a home. Yeah, that's right. Didn't have food to eat on a daily basis. It said that the dogs, well, God would never allow that. I'm talking about a real life person. Yeah. It's not a parable. Mm -hmm. It really happened. That's it. There was a real man who was really that poor, who was really a beggar, who really didn't have food on a daily basis. But his faith was in the Lord. Yeah, Why do you know that? Because of the story. Yeah. It says that when he died, that's it. Yeah. He was carried away into the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have right by him a rich man. Mm -hmm. And when he died, was he had everything. When he died, which a lot of times we look at and say, well, that's the blessing of the mm -hmm. Lord. Well, he died and spent eternity in hell. So which one is blessing? Which one is really blessing? Well, praise God, I just have money like all these millionaires. But that might not really be blessing. That's right. Yeah. It could be a curse. Yeah. Right. And if I could uh, emphasize what you're talking about there, you, you described how do we know from, and you said from the story. And what you're saying is, is that he didn't go to be uh, with the Lord because he was poor. Right. And the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. That's right. mm -hmm. Because that would be counter that would be counter to everything mm -hmm. else in scripture. Right. That's true. So the poor man, if that's the case, then we all let's what are we doing? What are we doing even working? Let's just all be poor and be beggars to make sure we get to heaven. That's not the story. That's not right. the point of the story. Right. And so you made a really good point by saying that. Mm -hmm. uh, that it he obviously had faith mm -hmm. to him. He had to have, and the rich man did not. There's some of the the idea would be that basically the rich man's things was his God. Was his God. That was the most important thing in his life. And that is what stopped him from faith. But yet the poor man who had literally nothing, who had every reason not to have faith, didn't stop him from having faith in God. I'm sorry, but that's the most genuine, pure faith. Yeah. Yeah. And that, what I see there tells me his faith had to be in the right thing. <laughs> because if it wasn't, there's no way he keeps believing. Right. 
Because in the natural, he ain't seeing nothing that says the Lord is on my side. <laughs> Let's just be honest. So in a sense, the faith that he had was, Lord, I believe, I believe you can do anything, but even if you don't. That's right. That's good. That's right. That's, that's the place that I want to be in. Lord, even if you don't. Lord, I'd like to stay in my job. But even if you don't. That's right. You are still good. Yes. Right. Well, how can you say yes. that? Because the cross, because I'm looking at Calvary. My judgment upon God is based off of Calvary. Mm -hmm. Not whether I have a good job or a bad job, no job, a lot of money, little bit of money. Mm -hmm. None of that should move me. Yeah. If my faith is in the right thing. Mm -hmm. If somebody is I, that automatically tells me right now, your faith is in the wrong thing. If it's up, down, up, your faith is in the mm -hmm. wrong thing. I'm not saying that as a believer even with faith in, in Christ and what he's done at Calvary that you won't have a few moments where you get a little shaky. Yeah. Because sometimes the fire gets really hot. And we are still human beings. I'm not saying you'll be perfect then. But when someone is constantly put faith in the wrong thing, I don't have to I don't have to be a theologian to see that. <laughs> faith in the wrong thing. Oh man, man. Brother, it just seems like you read my mail. No, scripture is just pretty clear. That's it. It's not me. The Lord has read your mail. <laughs> All right, let's take the on Can't believe you guys made me call yeah. <laughs> uh, The next part. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. The weakness addressed here concerns the inability of the saint to know what to pray for. In the Greek, the definite article is used before the word, what? Consequently, Paul actually said, we do not know the what we should pray for. In other words, the particular what. Right. I, I was saying earlier, I didn't quite get there, but sometimes you're in that place, the fire, the testing of the Lord, the olive press, and you don't see, you don't even know what to pray. You don't even know what to pray for. Lord, deliver me. <laughs> Lord, this. Lord, that. Lord, help. Lord, come through with finances. We think that's what we need. But sometimes, and this, I, I hope that this challenges you in your prayer life, and as in mine, that I don't even know what, to, I don't even know what to pray for. Even when I think I know what to pray for, I don't know what to pray for. Right. I have no idea. I'm in the middle of a trial, the middle of a situation and a circumstance. I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. I think I need this and I really need 
Something else. I thought I needed a wife. I thought I needed the Lord to move on the outside things in my life. But the Lord knew that I needed more than anything else. But for Him to move on the inside. Yes. Was for Him to get really what I needed. I had no idea. What I needed was the right object of faith. Yeah. I thought I needed a wife. If God would have gave me a wife, it would have solved anything. I still would have had the That's wrong true. object of faith. Yeah. And the problem would have risen up in something else yeah. down the road. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I'll be sitting there, and who knows, maybe even my family, I don't know what my family prayed, but maybe even my family could have prayed, Lord, just give a wife, Lord, pray. <laughs> Amen, Lord, we claim it a wife for him, praise God. And they would have been praying against the will of God. Yeah. And this is where I say, it probably going to challenge you. How many times have you prayed for someone? Come on. Lord, do this. Praise God. They need this. Hallelujah. Uh, scripture says that you do not know That's what it. that they need. That's right. Yeah. Right. That's oh, right. We should pray his more. That's good. I've had times whenever I go preach somewhere, okay, and somebody come up to me, and I've literally had this happen. I'm not going to tell you where, but I've had this happen. They come up, they pray. They, I need you to pray such and such and such and such and such and such. <laughs> I need you to, I'm not even going to tell you what it's about, but I need you to pray this, this, this. Yes, ma'am. And the whole time. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And then as I begin to pray, what do I pray? Lord, let your will be done. Lord, let your perfect will be done in this situation and circumstance. I do not know what you are doing. <laughs> I do not know what you are doing, Lord. I do not know the end result. I do not know your plan in this person's life. I don't know your full plan in my own life. How the heck am I going to put it in their life? <laughs> Lord, let your perfect will be yes. done. Do I believe this, Lord's will for people to get healed? Yes, I do. I think that it's been paid for. That's yeah. it. And I will believe it. And I'll claim it, That's but at it. the end of the day, Lord, even if you don't, That's it. let your will be done. Lord, I don't know what you, you might be using that sickness, Lord. I don't know. Come on now. You might be using that financial hardship. I don't know. So just for me to simply say, Lord, deliver them. Praise God. It sounds good. Everybody gets happy. But I might be praying against the will of God. That's it. What, you're saying that the will of God for them to remain poor? No. But in that moment, He knows I don't. Do I really trust Him? In my life and in fellow believers' lives. This is where, if you are a parent, you have an advantage over me already. And I'm going to learn this lesson to heart. Because then the Lord is going to put this good old-fashioned thing to the test and say, do you trust me in your kids? That's love? it. Yeah. See, I already know that that's coming. But knowing that it's coming is one thing. Walking, walking yes, in that valley is a different thing. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that have been here, <laughs> praise God. That I have elders in faith that I can say, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. I don't know what he's trying to do. 
Yeah. I, I just look at my own life. There were times that my heart was completely broken and situation and circumstances in my life, no doubt, broke my parents' heart. But yet the Lord used it to do something in me. And if they would have been just praying, Lord, take it away, yeah. I never would have got saved. Mm-hmm. Just tell you the truth, I never would have got saved. God's will. We just, we don't know the what to pray for. Lord, what I don't know what you're trying to do. (laughs) But do it. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, do it. Let your perfect will be done. Not our will, but your will be done. See, I, I'm starting to figure out that when it comes to people's lives, there's more than just self-will. That's it. Now that I'm married, I got self-will and I still got Sarah's will. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah deals with the same thing. The Lord trying to do something in our lives now that she's married, now that we're both married to each other. Praise God. <laughs> Sarah has self-will. But now she also has ten. And the whole time she wants God's will. And God's trying to bring about His will in two people that have self-will. And now that they're married and joined together, the other person's will, because contrary to popular belief, even though you're a believer and you love the Lord and you go chasing after Jesus with all your heart, you just aren't going to see everything. I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? I know. <laughs> see, that all comes into play. Yeah. That's why it's so important for marriage that you both individually be submitted to the will of God for your life. Yeah. Individually. It, one cannot be and the other not. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, let's go through that. What does that mean? Well, how did Christ love the church? Well, he died. He took our place. He gave everything for us. So husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does that mean for the husband? You get to die first, buddy. Praise mm-hmm. God. See, we got to shout now. You get to die first to yourself, well, to what you want. To what you think is best. To the way that you like things to be. To your will for your life. We get to die. Man, we get to die first. Praise God. After all, you, you want to be the we want to be the head of the home, right? We submit to Christ, but well, Christ gave us the perfect example by dying first. So therefore we should die first. See, all men like to jump to the wives submit. And all women like to jump to the well love me as Christ loved the church. And Christ gave everything, so you need to give everything to me. No, I need to give everything to Christ. Mm. 
Because really what the woman is really saying, whether she realizes it or not, it'd be good if you just submit to me. What you will find happen is that if the husband is submitted to Christ first, and he is married to a godly wife, she will have no problem submitting yeah. to the husband. Because the husband is already submitting to Christ, therefore the wife is simply submitting to Christ as well. And she'll have no problem because after all, she has a divine nature in her, praise God, the Holy Spirit. And what does she want to do? Live right. She wants to be pleasing to the Lord. And she wants to be submitted to Christ. So husband, if you die first, and you're submitted to Christ, your beautiful, loving, Christian spouse who just, wife who loves the Lord with all of her heart will have zero problem submitting to you. But if you are not submitted and you have not done it first, do not demand that they submit to you and stand up on scripture and say, the Bible says submit to me. My Lord, when I want a sandwich, you make a sandwich. <laughs> no, Baba, hey, you, you skipped over an important part. Because we're real good at telling everybody else what the scripture says for them to do. <laughs> But not, not me though, Lord. Die first, what? No, I signed up for that. Yeah, no, you did. You did. All right. Now that we all understand that passage, the phrase "as we ought" there's a Greek word for it. It means what is necessary in the nature. Of the case for that we are to pray. We do not know what is necessary at each crisis of need in order to enable us to attain the end. We do not know what is necessary for us to attain the end goal, which ultimately is Christ likeness. When we're in the fire, we don't always know what needs to happen in order for us to come through the fire. All we know is we're in the fire, we're in the frying pan of God, and the only thing we can think is, get me out. And most of the time, the way that we think we should get out is not the way that God has planned for us to get out. He says, in all things, he's created a way of escape. What that does not mean is run, run, run. There's another way of escape. It's not run or flee. God has never delivered in any way other than Calvary. Yeah. So in every fire that you come up against, the way of deliverance, the way of escape, you better believe it's Calvary. Yeah. I pray that that sinks in somewhere down the road and the light bulb goes off and you're like, dude, I've been going around the same mountain for a while because I've been looking at the wrong place. And the whole time I've been thinking, run away, run, 
away. Fire's too hot, and I'm just trying to jump out of the frying pan. And the whole time the answer's right there with me, the way of escape is capital. Next part. That the Spirit itself makes intercession for us. Intercession means to make a petition or intercede on behalf of another or on behalf of. This is intercession in respect to prayer and not intercession on behalf of one who has sinned, which can only be carried out by Christ, which he does constantly. The type of intercession made by the Holy Spirit on our behalf in the realm of prayer is varied. However, this intercession includes the manner and way for approaching a king. In other words, protocol. The Holy Spirit not only directs our attention to what we should pray for, but as well makes certain that what is said before the Father is befitting a king, the Lord of glory. The Holy Spirit makes certain that we are approaching God as we should. And I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to give it's not a story, it's actually in the Bible. <laughs> I guess it was a story, but I'm going to use the Old Testament to show you this. The book of Esther. Remember I said that the Holy Spirit... The type of intercession made by the Holy Spirit on our behalf in the realm of prayer is varied. However, this intercession includes the manner and way for approaching a king. Now, book of Esther. <laughs> Esther is chosen, along with a bunch of other women, <laughs> to be presented to the king, and he's going to pick his new wife. All the other, as the story goes, all the other women, they had now they had their pick of any any jewelry, any perfume, any clothing, all of that. They had their pick of anything that they could choose to put on and go in the presence of the king. And all of them did exactly that. They picked whatever they wanted, they just bounced on up into that king. But each one of them was given a person. That they could get counsel from. Guess who the only one is that decided to go that route? Yes. Esther. <laughs> Esther, I, don't, I can't remember the guy's name. Hagar. Hagar. Yeah, I think that's it. Maybe. Anyway, it's been a while since I've read this. But Esther basically looks to him and says, You tell me what. Because you know the king better than I know the king. Right. So why don't you just tell me what to wear? Right. Yeah. And he tells her what to wear. Right. Well, we all know the end result. Yeah. The king picked her. Yeah. 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 Well, who, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a type of the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. Who instructed Esther on what to put on to approach the king. That's right. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you what to put on in order to approach the king. What to say. I'll tell you right now, one of the things will be a robe of righteousness and it won't be yours, it'll be Christ's. Right. Right. See, the Holy Spirit is going to bring you to that garment. Yeah. 
things were so hard. And I was in one of those seasons, one of those places. I, I, I didn't even know what to say. All I could say was, Jesus, help me. And the Holy Spirit took that prayer and interpreted it to the Father as a prayer of salvation. That's how I got saved. I did not say a salvation prayer. I said, Jesus, help me. That's all I could get out. Right. The pressure was so great. Right. The situation was so hard. I was so heartbroken. The only thing that I could get out through tears and tears and tears was Jesus, help me. And the Holy Spirit took that prayer and interpreted that yes. as salvation. Yes. And I can say that then, yeah. Yeah. Just you just cry, Jesus. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit takes, He knows what you have need of. Let's keep going. So we'll see in verse 27. And he who searches the hearts speaks of God the Father. All three persons of the Godhead search hearts. God the Father, and the scripture reference is 1 Chronicles 28.9, Jeremiah 17.10. The Son, the scripture reference is Revelation 2.23, and the Spirit, and the scripture reference is 1 Corinthians 2.10. There is a progression of order here which is not to be ignored. Even though the Holy Spirit is God and consequently knows all things, still His purpose and agenda is to carry out the will of God in our lives. One could say the Father orchestrates, the Son institutes, and the Spirit executes. The Father orchestrates, the Son institutes, and the Spirit executes. The Holy Spirit is not going to do anything that He has not first seen the Father and the Son do. Right. Yeah. Right. Jesus said, I do nothing unless right. the Father yeah. tells me, or that I see the Father doing. The Holy Spirit is not going to do anything that He hasn't first seen the Father and the Son do. Uh, one more time. The Father orchestrates, the Son institutes, and the Spirit executes. We talk about the book of Acts, and we say, well, that's the Acts of the church. No, that's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Everything you say in the book of Acts, with the, the Holy Spirit executed. Right. Right. That you just have a, it's playing out. Right. Uh, the next part. Knows what the mind of the Spirit the idea is that God the Father, who searches the hearts of His saints, understands the intent or bent of our unutterable prayers, unutterable because we do not know the particular things for which we should pray in connection with a certain circumstance. He knows the mind of the Holy Spirit praying for us and in our stead, according to the plan of God for our lives. Uh, the next part. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
The Holy Spirit is living within our hearts and lives to carry out the will of God and not our own will. Right. Most of the time, the way that people act in the body of Christ is that that passage of Scripture reads, Because he maketh intercession for the saints. We just told him to leave off. Where that says, according to the will of God. Yeah. Right. Big reference. That's right. Big. Huge. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. All things, how many times have we've all heard this verse quoted? Numerous times. Praise mm -hmm. God. The Lord works all things together for good. Praise God. Let's see if how badly it's been misquoted at the time. We're going to paint this apart. All things work together for good to those who meet the two conditions laid down in the verse. If the conditions are not met, then all things do not work together for good. If you have ever told, if you or you've ever heard of anybody else, tell an unbeliever, well, all things work together for good. No, not for them. Yeah, right. That's true. Cool. Come that's on. True. That's right. That is true. Not for them. Because they don't meet the two conditions laid down in the verse. Yeah. That's true. We know is meant for all believers to know this. Paul said, We know. And not just he know. We know. The phrase all things covers the entirety of the spectrum respecting to life and godliness. It refers to every effort made by Satan against the child of God, every plan devised by him for our destruction, and even pertains to men working with him whether they realize it or not. Right. Not everyone, not everyone that is against God realizes that they are working with Satan. That just is true. So yeah. sometimes we are so quick to blast individual people, but the truth is it's not them. Yeah. Uh, to ne the next part. To them who love God. Proclaims the first qualification. So the first qualification for all things working together for good in your life is to them that love God. We are sure that all things work for our good, not only because we love Him who worketh all things, listen to this, but also because He who works all things has loved and chosen us. And carried us through the successive steps of our spiritual life. Right. Well, I have assurance that I love him and, and the, all things will work together for good because I love him and also because he loves me. Right. The next part. And to them who are the call according to his purpose. Proclaims the second qualification. So you have both qualifications have to be met. It's not one. You can't have one and not the other. All things work together for good if you love God and you are the called according to His purpose. Then and only then do all things work together for good. Our lives must be for His purpose and not our purpose. 
And here is where the great conflict begins. If you are, if you are outside of the will of God, I'm sorry to tell you that all things will not necessarily work for the good. Because you're, you do love him, but you're also not in his will. So things are going to, if you look at David's life, times that David got out of the will of God, yeah. things didn't work out so good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, David always came back. That's yeah. the thing. You can come back. Praise yes. God. Yes. And David did it every time. Praise God. So I don't want you to think that. Oh, that's it. But, but when David got outside of the will of God, it didn't turn out so good. The calling and purpose is twofold. It is the calling as it pertains to the everlasting purpose of God, which was ordained before the foundation of the world, the world was laid. The second is this calling concerns a personal objective, even as it is part of the whole. So the calling is that you might be saved and be conformed into the image of Christ through sanctification and then glorification. That is the calling. And then the second is God's individual will for your life. These are the effort being carried out by the Holy Spirit, and it is our business to see to it that His purpose is our purpose as well. Yeah. Very simply, being the will of God. Yeah. Unfortunately, the terrible struggle of self-will enters in here, which greatly hinders the Holy Spirit and presents a conflict to the believer not easily overcome. The flesh is so subtle that most of the time it will masquerade under great spiritual claims. The flesh is really good at being religious yeah, and spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. The truth is, the flesh can quote scripture pretty well. Most of the time not quoted right, but it'll always be twisted to work out the way they need to work out. Yeah. Praise God, the Lord just this is the Lord just blessed me with this job. But brother, you can't go to church on Sunday because you always at work. You have no time. You've forsaken the assembly. But mm -hmm. well, that's but well, that's the no, that's your flesh. No, that's the Lord blessing. No, that's your flesh. Mm -hmm. And we just have to see we'll make it. We'll make it. But I can give more to the work of God. Praise God. Somebody in the church, too. Even certain denominations, we what well, we push for. Praise yeah. God. We get a good job. All that will be good. So you can give more to the work of God. Right? Yeah, but that, but that's not the Lord's will for their life. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What's the most important thing here? Right. This life? You want to be like the rich man or you want to be like Lazarus? What's the most important? Lazarus saw that the most important thing was eternal. 
That's it. And even if he does it. Now, just because somebody has a good job and money doesn't mean that they're automatically out of the will of God. Yeah, right. That might be God's will for their life. Actually, in, I can't remember which book it is, but there is something referred to in the body of Christ as the ministry of helps. Right. And even one of them is a gift of giving. Right. What do you mean a gift? Give? That means that the Lord, praise God, has blessed them in such a way that they can give. And that's God's place for them in the body of Christ. Newsflash, shocker, not everyone is in the fivefold ministry. And that is okay. There are other places in the body of Christ. The truth is that the ones that do not get seen the most are the most important. That's true. Scripture tells us that. It refers to the comely and the uncomely parts. Uh, we have interior parts to our body and exterior parts of our body. The exterior parts are the ones that get seen all the time, but the interior parts are the ones that are most important. Right. Yeah. Right. You can do without a heart. Praise God, but you cannot do without a heart. Right. Right. I'm not, I'm, Sarah would know more about this other interior body parts that you can do without or do not do. But you get the point. Right. They're more important. Right, exactly. The intercessor in the body of Christ is more important than the pastor. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No way. Yeah. What? Read the scripture. Yeah. It's someone that is what we would consider maybe uncomely parts in the body. They're not going to get seen all the time. They're not on the exterior. Right. No one sees an intercessor in the prayer closet. Yeah, it's true. But God does. Yes. 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 And that's their place in the body of Christ. That's their place in the body. What if the heart decided, I ain't trying to be hidden no more, baby. I'm coming out. <laughs> the body would die. Yeah. The heart would be in danger. Yeah. The body would die. None of the other parts would work. The body of Christ is the same way. We give all the glory and what would be considered glory for those who are Ministers of praise, godly praise and worship leader, amen, hallelujah, praise God, they're more anointed than, no, 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 they got a better place in the body of Christ, no, 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 actually, the person that gives, is really, really important, because without that, Scripture says that they need a peace of a preacher. A preacher, but how can he go if he's not sent? Yeah. Well, what did that mean? Somebody got to pay for it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It got to come from some. We are a body that works together. Amen. The problem in the body is that nobody wants to be interior parts. We all want to be mouths. I want to be a minister. I want to be a singer. 
Praise God. And that's God's will for my... No, that's your will. And you hurt the body. Like a heart trying to jump out of the chest to be seen. The rest of the body is going to die. God's will, your will. Yeah. They're going to butt heads, and when they do, Having these qualities of love for God and our calling being according to His purpose and not our own purpose, all things then must work together for our good. Mm. Praise God. Verse 29. Let's get through verse 30. Verse 29. For whom He did foreknow. Speaks of God's foreknowledge. God is omniscient, meaning that He knows everything past, present, and future. Foreknowledge is God's ability ability to look down through time in whatever capacity or to whatever degree and therefore to see and know what will take place at that particular time and with whomever it involves. God is represented as having a knowledge of the entire course of events before they took place. God knew that I would marry Sarah through foreknowledge. What God did not do is force Sarah or me to say yes. Right. Right. But yet he knew what we would do. He knew that I would want to marry Sarah. And he told Sarah that she had to marry me. <laughs> foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge does not mean that he steps in and, and, and that it just totally abrogates free will of man. Right. I had free will. Sarah had free will. But the Lord knew that Sarah would say yes and I would say yes. He knew. He could see down the years and he knew that your wife and he knew, Sarah, that's your husband. He knew. He knew what I would do. He knew what she would do. And it was his will, but he didn't force it. And we went that direction because Sarah submitted to God. And I wanted the Lord's will for my life. We both felt like, hey, this is it. So we said yes. And we love each other. God knew that foreknowledge, but we still had free will. Sarah could have said no. And God would not have forced Sarah to say yes. Right. Uh, the next part. He also did predestinate. Proclaims the basic Bible teaching of predestination, which deals with God's plan. All who do accept the call he has foreknown and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son might be the firstborn among many brethren. Those who reject the plan, he has foreknown and predestinated to be consigned to eternal hell as an everlasting monument of his wrath on rebels. God does not predestine one person to go to hell and another person to be saved. That's right. God has a plan. 
God has laid down His redemption plan to mankind and has said, for those that say yes, then they'll be conformed into the image of Christ and they will have salvation and they will be glorified, be like Him. For those that say no to my plan, rejected, hell will be the place that they will go. That was God's plan, and that's what He laid down. That's what was predestined. This is the plan. This is what happens if you accept. This is what happens if you reject. That's as far as God went. Free will for man is where we decide. But He doesn't make any man decide that. He, but through foreknowledge, He knows every person that's going to say yes and every person is going to say no. But He did not force them. He did not force Pharaoh to harden his heart. He knew Pharaoh would harden his heart through foreknowledge. So all God did was just bring about situations and circumstances already knowing that Pharaoh would harden his heart. And Pharaoh did exactly harden his heart. Just like God knew that he would. But God did not make Pharaoh harden his heart. But God used it. Right. Next part. There's a lot of people that have a difficult time with that. They yeah. really yeah. do. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing who God is and what He's yeah. capable of. You know, why not just make everybody love God? You know, so there there are people that really struggle with this. Right, but then you go back to the original. You go back to in the garden, the original. I know. It was not forced. I know. Right. God. It's. I know. See, it's not. If God forces us to serve Him and love Him, then He's a, that's not love. That's not love. That's not the characteristic of God. Therefore, he can't be God. He's not the dictator. If it's forced, he wanted a people that would willingly. Willingly, absolutely. So they say, well, why does it? Because that'd be forced. He wants willingly. So he gives free will. And that way, all those whosoever will, they make a willingly choice. Oh, yeah. uh, next part. Uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read all the context here. He, he also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the first uh, born among many brethren. Uh, this is the only predestination address. Those who, of their own free will, who accept Christ, are predestined to be conformed by the Holy Spirit, which is sanctification, into the Christ-like image. Paul has been speaking of the trials and imperfections of this present life and urging his readers not to be discouraged by them on the ground that if they continue to live after the Spirit, these things will by no means hinder but rather further the final issue. To strengthen this position, Paul introduces the thought of God's eternal purpose. Remember the section right before this talked about, I think it was right before, talked about Trials. Right. So Paul, speaking of that, brings in predestination, God's eternal purpose, to strengthen the fact that do not let the trials, the temptations, the sufferings of this present life get you down. Because they only 
serve a purpose to bring you to the final end result, which is the image of Christ. Being conformed into the image of Christ. So the sufferings that you face in this present time, you know what they are? They are not worthy. That's it. To be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yes. So this is why he brings in predestination, God purpose, to strengthen that argument. That if you said yes to Jesus and his plan, you are baptized into Christ, you've been justified, you're going through sanctification, and you will be glorified one day. Do not let the trials of this present life get you down. Because it's already been predetermined that for those that say yes to Jesus, which includes you and you and you and you and you, it's already been predetermined that you'll be conformed into the image of Christ, who is the firstborn of the many that will come after him. So don't let the trials of this life get you down because they're just going to serve the purpose of getting you to the end result that you want to be at, which is being like Jesus. Conformed means to be made like unto. The word image means a copy, a representation, resemblance. Uh, the phrase that he must say the phrase, the part that says that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, has to do with Jesus being the prototype, which means the original model on which other things are patterned. In this case, believers. Firstborn suggests Jesus' supreme rank and the uniqueness of his special relationship with the Father. All believers, though junior members of the family, and with a lower rank than Jesus, will still share in the glory Jesus enjoys right now. Because remember, he's the only begotten we are not. We're begotten of other men. He's the only begotten. So he has a higher rank. But just because after he gets saved, he got a little lower rank, baby, you're in the family. Child yeah. Lord, you're in the family. You've been adopted into the family. And you're going to share the same inheritance that Christ yeah. has because he made it that way. Sorry. All right, verse 30, let's get through this and we'll be done. Moreover, whom he did <coughs> refers to those who accepted him of their own free will. He has predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his son. Then he also called. God calls us, for we are spiritually dead and wouldn't call to God. Therefore, he called us. Yes. The call is given to someone. It is also given for something. To be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, the next part. And whom he called, then he also justified. God takes away the guilt and penalty for sins and bestows upon the believing sinner a positive righteousness, even Jesus Christ himself, in whom the believer now stands forever innocent, uncondemned, and righteous in every point of the law. 
And whom he justified, then he also glorified. Refers to the act of God yet to come, which will transform the believer's body at the rapture into a body like the resurrection body of our Lord Jesus. Glorified is written in past tense. It is both complete and certain in the divine counsels right now. Right. Yes. When God looks at you right now, He looks at you as though you are already glorified. Right. Because in His mind, it's a done deal. So much so that when Paul was right, right here, the Holy Spirit said, why don't you go ahead and just put an E-D in why don't you go ahead, Paul, and just make that past tense? Yeah. Because it's already happened. Yes. It's a guarantee to take place. Yes. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is expla explaining here the totality of salvation. It is justification, sanctification, being transformed into the image of Christ, and glorification. That is all wrapped up in the word salvation. Jesus is the resurrection. Martha said, If thou hadst been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, remember we talking about glorification? And from what we're going to see, Martha had some type of understanding of that. Jesus said unto her, your brother shall rise again. Martha understood, she understood that statement to refer to the coming resurrection of all saints. And answered accordingly. She said, I know that he will. I know that he will. And Jesus, my Lord, he took it to a whole other level. Martha, that's true, but you ain't getting it, baby. <laughs> Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, oh my God. Martha, you are right. You've answered correctly. Yeah. You've answered correctly, Martha, that in the resurrection, Lazarus will be rising. But what you don't understand, and that you need to understand, because every trial and situation and circumstance that you go through is meant to purify your faith and show you something about Christ you didn't already know. Martha, what you didn't already know that you need to know, Martha, is that I am the resurrection and the life. You looking at it, baby. It's not a time to come. It's me. Martha, you didn't you knew that the resurrection is going to happen. But what you didn't currently know is you're looking at And Martha, more importantly than anything, that is what you need to know. You're looking at it. 
done with verse 30. Done for life.